You know, this morning, I normally, whenever I get up to preach, one of my goals is to jump into the Word as quickly as possible. Uh, I don't know if you listen to other preachers and ministers, but one thing that annoys me is when you tune in for a sermon and they talk for 10 minutes about nothing before they get into their text. Has anyone else experienced that? Well, congratulations. I'm going to talk about nothing for a couple minutes. Uh, I, I just have to, this morning um, during worship, I found myself with just an attitude of gratitude just overwhelming me. Um, worship team, we could not enter into God's presence without you serving the house the way that you do. Um, if we had to play a music video every week, it's just different than live worship. And so worship team, I just honor you this morning for what you're doing. Um, right now in our online community, there's someone chatting along with you, and it's not me. Uh, they, they, on a Sunday morning, they sit in a whole nother room. Uh, they listen, but they're typing along so that you can have interactions. Uh, how many got a hot cup of coffee or some type of drink this morning? Um, I just, the cafe people, you, you make our environment warm and welcoming. And I'm just so grateful for you that there was probably someone at the front door that said hi to you. Hopefully they had a smile on their face. I don't know. They could have been having a bad day, but they probably greeted you and at our connecting center. I, I see it back there next step. They're smiling. They, they apparently had smiles on their face. How many dropped off kids to nav kids today feeling like your, your children are safe and protected? Nav kids workers, and they're always working hard. I just, I can't help but just, if I can say this, just thank you, church. We're here doing it together. We're providing ministry together. That, that round of applause was horrible. Hang on, let me build up to you better. We are here as a church doing church because the church showed up today. And so I honor all of you today for doing that. I'm also, I think I'm also grateful knowing that this coming weekend we're going to be having our fall festival. And uh, as crazy as this sounds, I'm scheduled to go out of town tomorrow morning. And the worst time to go out of town is the week before you're going to throw a citywide party. But can I just tell you, everything's in place. Like there's little jobs that are still happening, last minute pickups that we have to do, water, straw, things like that. But the amount of you that have stepped up to volunteer, I can't tell you how many texts, even this morning standing here, someone goes, hey, let me know what I need to do above and beyond. And I'm just so grateful that next weekend we're going to be in the middle of our community helping lead 10 plus other churches to be inside of their community, to be able to bless and to show the love of Jesus. And so I just, I don't know, I'm just as grateful as you can be right now. And so God, as we just get this morning started I just, I'm grateful that we are a church that understands that the church does church, not the paid staff, not the hired help, but God, we do church together. And now God, as a church, we are going to say this, this next weekend coming up, despite how many movies will come out with gore and rated R, no matter how many scenes of Freddie coming back or Jason showing up. This next weekend, our goal is to show the love of Jesus greater than any demonic representation that would normally happen during this time period. God, we pray for those that are longing for an intimate relationship with you and probably don't even know it yet. Let us be in the place to be able to share Jesus Christ with them. We thank you ahead of time. We, this isn't a request. We thank you ahead of time for perfect weather. We thank you ahead of time of things flowing smoothly. But now, God... 
we just also lift up our voice and say, Holy Spirit, come mightily onto the streets of Collinsville in this next week. As we are showing the love of Jesus, may the love of Jesus show up. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Well, now we're going to jump straight into the Word of God because the worst thing to do is to delay that. We're talking about Ezekiel. And in talking about Ezekiel, this means we have one week after this week to be uh, finishing our good old stories. Now, if you're at all a Bible person, you probably realize that we miss people like Nehemiah and Ezra. Like there's other books out there. We just we decided not to make this a two-year-long sermon series. And by the way, some of you, you're welcome. I know you're ready to get off of this. But here's the crazy thing. So, okay, so next week, we're going to be in our community inviting people to church and go to churches and all this type of stuff. So next week is Malachi. This is the the passage that I had planned to preach out of. Malachi tells the children of Israel, when it comes to your ministry, you're horrible. When it comes to your family and marriages, you're horrible. And when it comes to your giving to God, you're horrible. This is the topic I thought would be strong to preach on the day after we're going to invite thousands of people to church. And I even thought to myself, do we cancel next week for a little bit bit more of a feel-good message for all the people coming? I have a couple problems. If I'm only going to preach the gospel when it feels good, then I should stop now. Right? But then the other, the second thing is, the more that I'm already studying for next week, if I were to say to you, tell me if I'm talking about Israel 2,000 years ago, or more than that now, 2,400 years ago, 2,600 years ago, and not that any of you care about the dates as much as I just currently did, but Malachi didn't talk for 400 years, there was silence, Jesus here, so it's 2,400 years ago, I just did math, okay, so if I were going to explain to you what they were going through at that time, Or am I explaining to you where America currently is? At some point, I can't skip around the gospel in the buffet of the the kingdom and take the dessert that I want. At some point, everybody needs Jesus if it was 2,400 years ago or now. But now, today, we're going to talk about Ezekiel. And I'm excited about Ezekiel because I feel like I very much get him. Now, in your sermon notes, if, you, if you're online or you have the app, you will see that chapters 1 through 11, uh, chapters 1 through 11, it's God making a statement, then the children of Israel kind of having accusations back. And by the way, just some very immature statements coming back to God, but this whole conversation back and forth. If you want to read anything out of Ezekiel, chapters 1 through 5 were a lot of fun because he does these three prophetic acts. One, he builds this little miniature town. And then like Godzilla stomps through it, and that's a fun. And then another one, he cuts his hair and chops it up and sends it, and that's a fun one. The weirdest one is when he felt that God, I know this is crazy, ready for this? God told him to sleep next to a fire, and the fire was only ever made out of dung, and he would lay on his side for a year while eating food made off that fire. Yeah, go read it. It's fantastic. Like, it's a real page turner trying to figure out what. So these, this is the type of stuff Ezekiel did. But what I want to jump into is eventually we're going to jump into Ezekiel chapter 47. But in order for you to understand why I say I very much get Ezekiel, what we see is Ezekiel was born around 622 B.C. 
There was a king reigning during that time by the name of King Josiah, 640 to 609 B.C. Here's why King Josiah is important. King Josiah was a, when I say a teenager, he was a child when he became king. Upon becoming king, the temple was being remodeled, if you would, and some contractors bring out these scrolls, and this king starts reading the scrolls, and, and here's actually what he said. He goes, we are so far off of what God has called us to. And he immediately called for the children of Israel, this nation, to repent before God. And what you saw was revival come about. Revival was coming about, and then Ezekiel was born. Now, Ezekiel's born, and it, here's what it is. He was born into revival, so when it comes to his relationship with, about, with God, Ezekiel views revival as normal. Because that that's what he was born into. You guys know how this worked. How many grew up and you had a very specific bakery right around your house that you grew up eating those stones? Hang on. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you understand the Bible by using... By the way, this jacket is so uncomfortable. If, if, if it, it's, Take it off. How you doing? Like, <laughs> new fundraiser here at the church. I'm just letting you know this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> Cut the losses now. Thank you. Speaking of a jacket too tight, let's talk about dessert a second longer. How many grew up with a local bakery around him and it was your donut, your birthday cake, your son like this, but then as you get older, you discover there's other bakeries around, right? And what is the thing you do? You judge the new bakeries off of what? The, the one you know, because this was the best one. This has the best uh, angel cream-filled donuts. This has the best cake. This has the best fudgies. I'm just using examples. Definitely not referring to Crude Bakery up the road. <laughs> then you find out there's a big bakery, MacArthur's, over in St. Louis that everyone raves about, and you try their cake, and you realize, no, it's horrible. It's not actually horrible. It's just not what you know. Ezekiel grew up knowing revival. That is what he knows. But what we may not know about him is that when the Babylonians came in to pull the children into captivity in three different waves, Ezekiel was one that went in on the first waves of captives. So wait a second. I was born knowing revival, but now I'm standing in captivity. This isn't right. And about five years after being in captivity, this is when Ezekiel starts his ministry. But I just want to say, I've mentioned it twice, I'm going to say it again, I get Ezekiel. Because I was not born into a church or a family that just went to church. I was born into a family that was in revival. How many are old enough to remember something called the Jesus movement? Okay, there's a couple of you. How many remember the charismatic revival? Or renewal, maybe is another word. Okay, so I was born during this charismatic outbreak. My mom and dad started a church in 1979. I was two years old. My younger brother just born. They went from zero to 800 people in about a year and a half. I remember coming into church as a little kid. The only thing I remember about church is seeing legs everywhere. This is like one of the only vivid memories. I remember having to go through a sea of legs to try to find where mom and dad are. I knew where mom and dad were. They were going to be up front. Why? Because up front at the altar, this is a good old days. We may do some of this next year just to kind of re renew some of these charismatic roots we have. But you would say, listen, if you need Jesus, if you need healing, if you're needing a touch, if you would come down to the 
I love you guys right now. You're, you're little Bible thumpers out there. So you come down to the altar. Mom went down, down at the altar. And I could come down to the altar, and you would see people laying on the ground. You'd see people uh, crying. You would see people shaking. They were just under the power of God. And this is what I grew up knowing. And here's the thing. Whenever we go to church, and no one gets healed, and no one gets saved, and guests aren't showing up, I come from the background of what's wrong. It it is like, why isn't a church having an impact? And why isn't a church growing? Jesus is there. If Jesus is somewhere, lives should be be getting changed. And so then I had him a life. I grew up as a PK. I, I always knew God. I always respected God. But I would say there was a time where I'm not sure I loved God. I respected and I understood it, but there was a moment where I had to make the decision, am I going to continue serving mom and dad's God or is David going to find a personal relationship with him? And wouldn't you know that happened at a time in my life when a revival was happening in America? How many remember the Brownsville revival? Is that a term? So by the way, hang on to that PowerPoint. We may eventually get there. I'm off on a tangent. I remember my parents, they were doing a, 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 I believe it was a Saturday morning prayer meeting. Dad was supposed to come to the prayer meeting. Dad popped in a videotape, a VHS tape for any of you that are younger. It's in a block about yay big. You pop the top, you spin it, and be kind and rewind. And so, <laughs> any, anyone that needs a blockbuster reference today. Dad popped in this videotape, and as he's watching it, the power of God hit my dad. And and this may sound weird to you, but God so overtook him that he got slain in the spirit, would be the Christian term, the way that we'd say it. He actually fell on the bed, unable to move. And you may think this sounds weird, but I'll tell you now, if you put your finger in an electrical outlet, you can have an overdose, right, of electricity. Same thing with God. There's times that he hits you so hard that you just get overwhelmed, and your natural body just kind of gives away. And, and, and you read it all throughout the Bible, by the way, when the presence of God, when, when Solomon first uh, introduced the temple, he had all these hundreds of sacrifices. They say, it says the presence of God so filled the place that no one could even enter it. Was it because there was a power there? No, because you stepped in, poof, you dropped. Like, this is what just happened. God was there. He overwhelmed us. And so, so I was actually... In a time of revival, mom and dad said, hey, can you come to church in the middle of the week? And at this time, it was, I don't go to church in the middle of the week. I only go on the weekends. Please, something happened to dad. And I promise, this was the line. I'll never forget it. Dad gets so excited about God, he runs. I've never seen my dad run a day in my life. <laughs> I've seen dogs chase my dad, and my dad didn't bother running. Like, he, he just didn't run. So the Spirit of God and dad's running, this is a miracle. I got to see it. So I remember coming into church that night. And... Wouldn't you know, I decided to plug in to the Holy Spirit. And the next two plus years of my life, probably, I was a part of week, or we would have service Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Service would start at 7 o'clock at night and never get out before 11 or 12 o'clock. You never once looked at your clock, though. You were absolutely lost. Somehow the temporal gave way to the eternal and you got lost in it. I remember getting slain in the spirit one time. And this, again, may be odd for you, but this is normal to me. That I just remember I was, wasn't even expecting it. Somebody came and laid their hands on me. And I kid you not, I took out about three rows of chairs 
because I just flew backwards. I didn't jump. I'm not a stunt man. I don't like pain. I'm not going to try to hurt myself for a show. But I just remember waking up a considerable time later just knowing that I was in the presence of God. And so like Ezekiel, when we don't have massive manifestations of God being poured out on the earth, part of me just goes, is this really what church is? Is this what spirituality is? Is this just a, hey, God, because my head tells me I'm going to stay close to you versus understanding that my spirit can be awakened also? And so I will just let you know I'm not comfortable with today's church. And I think it's because God's made me uncomfortable with it because it's not the donut I know. It's not the dessert I know. It's not what I grew up with. What I grew up with was the Holy Spirit showing up. And just so you know, you don't have to have a good sermon on that day. You don't. You don't have to have an amazing worship set to her people. You just stand up here and go, Jesus is here who wants to touch him. And you're just a facilitator of the Holy Spirit. This is what I'm desperate for. This is what I want to see. This is what I want to know. And Ezekiel is going into the same conversation of being in captivity. And he goes, guys, we don't have to live under captivity. We can live under the revival of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon all mankind. And so here's what I like to do. I, I know I'm going to at least get to the first two thoughts. But I have a total of four, and this happened because two weeks ago, Pastor Aaron and myself, we were in uh, Portland. A gentleman by the name of Pastor Mark gets up on the stage, and he says, I have a sermon today out of Ezekiel. By the time he got done, I looked at Pastor Aaron, and I said, I am so excited. My sermon is done for two weeks from now. So I'm stealing his thoughts because they're right, and they were fantastic. And so if you want to, Ezekiel chapter 47... We are going to jump to just verses uh, 1 and 2. And we're going to talk about the source of the river. It says this in verse 1. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. Now the man that Ezekiel is talking about, he could be a pre-incarnate Christ. He could be an angel that was walking with Ezekiel at this point. But a man brought Ezekiel back to the entrance of the table, temple. And I saw water coming from underneath the threshold of the temple towards the east. For the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around to the, out, uh, the outer gate facing east. The water was trickling from the south side. Let's just stop there for verses 1 through 2. The man brought me back from the, uh, to the entrance of the temple. So he brings, this guy brings Ezekiel back to the threshold of the temple. And from the threshold of the temple, imagine being this, imagine standing in front of a building. Everything looks fine about the building, except you look down and underneath the door, there's water trickling out. And then the guy says, no, come with me now. We're going to go over here to the south side. And as he goes to the outside, out of that door, there's water trickling out. And out of the back, back, the, the, the west side, water's trickling out. The north side, water's trickling out. So out of this temple where there should be no water coming from, there's water that's beginning to trickle out of every side. And then he brought me back. And as he brings me back to the, the north side, we have to understand that Ezekiel was looking at this as someone who had no idea of who Jesus was. 
But we get the benefit of understanding what the temple is in comparison to who Jesus was. Let me tell you a little bit of backstory just so you know what's happening. When Jesus was crucified, the temple was still up and running. The temple was where people brought animal sacrifices because they were under sin punishment. And in order to delay the punishment that was coming, Jesus would allow us to sacrifice the blood of an animal in order to almost, can we say this, kick the can down the road. Pay this penalty of death at a different time. But when Jesus was crucified, there's a couple things that we know of. We know that the last things he did while he was on the cross was he was blessing the people that were actually crucifying him. He was leading another person into what eternal salvation would be about. But then when it came time in the middle of the day for, the, for Jesus to die, it says that the heavens grew black, the earth actually shook like an earthquake, and it was like all of creation was reacting to the death of Jesus. But then the moment he died, something interesting happened in the hill just to the side of them. This temple that was placed there, the, the veil, the garment, the, the curtain that separated the temple from the rest of the world was torn. But here's the key. It was torn from the top bottom, not from the bottom up. So the bottom up means that a couple priests grabbed it and started walking backwards and tore it. The top, the top down, it was almost this picture of God saying, I am no longer separated from you. And he tore it. Now we have no temple for God to resign in. Jesus just destroyed the one and he killed himself. But then as we continue to study in the New Testament, here's what we find. And by the way, all these notes are, uh, all these scriptures are in your notes. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. 1 Peter 2, 5. It says this. Here's a summary of all these scriptures. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple for the Holy Spirit? When it comes to the temple of God and the new covenant, New Testament in 2022, it is not something found in Israel. It is not something found in Jerusalem. It's not a pile of bricks with the priesthood all dressed up, standing around a golden ark. Here's what it is. God resides in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And from the very beginning, here's what this is telling us. The temple of the Holy Spirit and you are one and the same. And nowhere in this does it say the temple of the Holy Spirit is there so that you can be rich one day. Although, that's a possibility. It doesn't say anywhere of, since you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you will not have tough times. Actually, I need everyone to say amen there. Like, just go read your epistles or your New Testament books, and it usually starts off with something like this. When you come across difficult situations, it doesn't say if, it doesn't say possibly. It just says, FYI, humans, you're going to run into other humans. And this is the drama and trauma you're going to go through. But you're going to run into yourself. Let's be honest, sometimes our worst demon is the one in between our two ears. And we're busy rejecting the devil, and the devil's sitting on the sideline going, I don't have to touch you. You jacked up enough. So, did you notice how the devil almost had a country accent? Did you see that? Proof The devil went down to Georgia because he was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind. He was looking to make a deal. And so, fiddle on the man. Okay, okay. 
I'm not sure what this is. I'm saying that's a cello. So, but because of this stupid jacket, I'm not going to be able to do a fiddle for you. It's so tight. I'm sweating so much right now. Just want to take it off. It looks good. Let's keep going with that. How is it? Give it to Pastor Aaron. I love you. If I don't hear that every week. <laughs> so, so how is it that God goes to the whole earth if every building that's supposed to be the church is held down with brick and mortar? Lest you are the one that's supposed to take it to all the earth. And by the way, it doesn't say that the door was open and there was a rebellious, obnoxious Christian standing in there with a fire hose, projecting their beliefs onto everybody else. You know what happens? It seeps from the very core of who we are. And it begins flowing out in every direction. How do we get revival? Is we understand that we are the temple that is supposed to host it. The river is meant to be his people. His presence and his temple are inseparable, inseparable. And you and his presence can't be separated. You are the temple for the Holy Spirit. So let's all say this prayer together. Can you throw up Psalms 126 for me? I, the only reason I'm mentioning this to those serve, uh, helping serve today is I'm all over the PowerPoint. And so here's this. Can I ask everyone to say this prayer with me out loud today? Ready for this? Let's do it. Now, Lord, do it again. Restore us to our former glory. May streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. Let's say just that for let's just the first line. Ready? Now, Lord, do it again. I grew up in revival. God, do it again. I grew up in awakening. God, do it again. There's the great way, great the reformations, the great awakenings, the revivals, Azusa Street. There's been outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, do it again. And I'm not asking you to do it through some ministry. I'm not asking you to do it through some building. Lord, through my north, through my south, through my east, through my west, may I begin being the one that allows the river to flow out. So number one, when it comes to the source of the river, you're the source. You want change in this world? You want revival in this world? You want the Holy Spirit to be in your house, at your work? In your, uh, at your school, along with your friends and family, it starts with you, allowing that river to flow. Now, when it comes to the size of the river, we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 3 through 5. As a man went eastward, he measured a line in his hand, and he measured off a thousand cubits and led me through the water, and I was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits, led me through the water to the knee deep. He measured another thousand and led me to water that was up to my waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water has risen and gone uh, and was uh, deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. So God is showing Ezekiel here, here's your options of your spiritual life. Option number one is you can be ankle deep. You can come in. And you can get a touch of what God is all about. 
And this can happen a couple ways. One, you come to church on a regular basis. You jump online. You listen to a podcast. When you're feeling down, you turn on a worship song. How many have ever done just enough to think you're doing all right? Because here's the thing. Here's my example on this. And since I already used a bakery, let's go back to eating. You know there are some healthy people out there that do one cheat meal per week. Right? Most of us, we do one healthy meal per week. Right? You do one healthy meal per week, and this tells ourselves, I'm getting better. Or we just lie to ourselves and say this, starting Monday. Exactly, and then you can't fit in the jacket. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it is not getting better than that. Like, I don't even want to defend myself. That's just a great joke. Fat man in a little suit. So, Tommy Boy, in case anyone didn't get the reference. We covered last week where my humor is on the... Uh, it's so funny how we lie to ourselves throughout the week and somehow we feel better thinking that in the future we'll actually eat better. But when it comes time, we don't want to eat better. All we want is a little water on our ankles to feel refreshed. Right? And God, next year, whenever the church starts off the year with the 40 days of prayer, and as we go into the 40 days of, uh, before Easter, and as we do this, I'm going to be all in, and I'm going to make it, and I'm going to wake up early, and I'm going to pray. And we feel good at the thought of actually doing good. But the fact is, we're only in the most dangerous place possible, because if you've ever tried to cross a creek with a little bit of water in it, it's the greatest opportunity to slip and fall. Because it's just enough to make everything wet, and it's just, it's just fast moving or slow moving enough to make everything slippery. But when you fall, you have nothing to fall into because you haven't got deep enough. And so this is what it looks like. I get saved and I love Jesus. Something bad happens. I cry out because I fell. But when I fell and hit rocks, I now blame God for not catching me. God's not to blame. You're the one that didn't walk in deeper. you got to get to the place where it's not just knee and waist. You know what happens? The deeper you go, number one, the deeper you go into the river, there's less debris. Because the water's already moving off the other thing. Number two, and this is the greatest part about the deeper you go, the, the safer you go. The deeper you go, at some point, you can no longer control where you go in this river. The river controls where it takes you. But we don't want to ever get that deep into the river because at the end of the day, we don't trust God with our life. We don't trust God enough to let go and he will take us where he wants us to. We are enough of the controlling Americans that has to know where the money is, that has to know what the plans are, that has to know what the strategies are. The thought of me saying, God, I am no longer going to do this in your complete control. I don't even want to do that. And if you do, congratulations, you're just a better Christian than I am. I'm just honest with you. There are places where I still question God. And here's the question, why? Like, I could have done this a better way, but why? But at what point do you go ahead and get deep enough into the river to where you're not just kind of waist deep? You're not just kind of shoulder deep. But you get, or excuse me, not knee deep, not waist deep, but you get to the point where you totally give control to God because the size of your river will be determined by the size of your surrender. 
the size of your river, the size of your anointing, the size of what God is going to pour to you and through you is dependent upon one thing, your surrender to God. So Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Come and drench these bones again. And the reason I want to surrender to you this morning, God, this isn't a prayer for everybody. This is just a prayer for me. God, because found in your river is where I was born. And I have a soul craving for that original call that your spirit, no matter how hard the heart is, your spirit overwhelms it. No matter what our worldviews are, your spirit draws me in and shows me where I fall short. Holy Spirit, drench us today. As we not only see the source of our river, but we see the potential size of our river. And then when we jump to Ezekiel 47, verse 6, it tells us about the sufficiency of our river. So he asked me, son of man, do you see this? And he led me back to the bank of the river. I kind of love this picture. So now we've jumped in and we've enjoyed God for a while. We've got the Holy Ghost goosebumps. We've gone down this river. We've experienced things that we haven't experienced before. But then this angel, this Christophany, this Christ incarnate, like pulls the guy out, Ezekiel, and now drenching wet, standing on the banks, he goes, listen, there's more to this that I want to show you than just someone who can get a goosebump for Jesus. He led me back to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there, I saw a great, multitude, a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said, the water flows towards the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea, and when it empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. So if you don't know where the Dead Sea is, the Dead Sea is the lowest part of the earth over in this area. And by the time the water flows to it, since it doesn't have anything to feed or anywhere to go, it has just become a, a, a sea of nutrients. I think it's 24% um, nutrients rich. Nothing can live in there. And if you ever go there, which, by the way, just a little side announcement, uh, as a church, we're taking a trip there next year. And so if you would want to go to Israel and experience this in person, you're welcome to go online, get on the app, all the information's there. But one of the things I'm looking forward to, apparently, when you strip down, you go into the Dead Sea and you float. Because there's just so much nutrients there, it holds the natural body up. But what it was, as I'm standing on the shoreline, looking back, it is filled with trees. And this river that we're looking for, this river that we're wanting, this river that we're needing, it is not just to give ourselves a joy ride of a spiritual experience. But the reason we're wanting this is there are banks and riverbeds that we are currently living in that are dying a slow death because it's not being fed by the right things. And let's just use this word, culture, society, America. One of the greatest prayers that I say right now is for my children 20 years from now. Because if America keeps changing in the next 20 years like it has in the last, let's go three, four, five, and I don't want you to think that was a political statement. It's just the facts. If we continue to change at this rate, what is it that my kids are being raised up in? 
I don't know, but I do know what I, want to, what I desire to feed the culture around me, and that's this living water that flows out of the temple of God. And it isn't a spiritual experience that I just have, but it's actually a life-changing lifestyle that I continue to live everywhere I go. And if I am truly seeing revival, if I am truly seeing renewal, if I am seeing God pour out in my life, it isn't just for me. The, everyone around me should be seeing life. And so, dead things in your life will come back to life. So, just so everyone knows, we're going to stop on this point. The next one has the saving power of the river. And I believe that, but I feel like I should just stop here today. And here's why. Where is the place in your life that you think is dead and gone and God can't revive again? Who's that person that you know that you don't pray for as much as you used to? What is that dream that you had inside of your life that you've absolutely put on the shelf because every time you touch that dream, it feels more like a nightmare? Where is the prayer, the revelation, the teaching that you once to stand, you once stood in? But it's dead to you now. I am here to tell you that this Ezekiel River that I believe can still be available for us today can bring life back to your dead places. It can bring life back to relationships that you thought were dead and gone. I'll say this to you. Someone needs to hear this. It can bring life back to your mortal body where you have just decided the doctors can't help and I'm done pushing in. It can bring life back to that. It can bring life back to your childhood innocence that you know was stolen from you, from that dad, from that mom, from that babysitter, from that neighbor up the road, and you've never been able to fully give yourself to anybody else because when you were a kid, it was stolen from you. God can bring life back to your innocence. God can bring life back to your worship. Maybe this isn't for everybody, but someone... You feel like when you go to worship God, you're just doing it because you know that, you do, that you're supposed to, but yet you yourself, you find no creativity in it. You find no joy in it. You find no life into it. God can bring life back to your relationship with him. This river that Ezekiel is telling us about, and I will say it this way, this river that I am desperate to have back, is available to us when we realize, number one, where the source is. The source flows out of us. Are we willing to step into places to allow living water to once again pour through us? Number two, it's about the size of it and your dedication. What are we really, really willing to pay in order to have this as a life source in our life? Do we want to have it just enough to get our ankles a little wet and we feel like healthy Christians, or are we willing to go to the place where his spirit overtakes us and we're no longer in control of where it guides and leads us? And how do we even push towards those things? I think it's because we get to a certain point where we are desperate for life over death. 
We're desperate for life in ourselves and the people around us. We're desperate for life in our government. We're desperate for life in our legal system. We're desperate for life in our police and fire system. We're desperate for life in our school system. We're desperate for life in our relationships and with our coworkers, with our family members that we're separate. We're desperate for life for those places to the point where we say we're willing to give up all of this to get deep into the river so that it can pour out of me so lives can be changed. So, dear Heavenly Father, I just pause here again. Holy Spirit, I want to see life and life abundant. I pray for anyone here right now that even as I've been preaching this morning, if you were to take an honest evaluation of where you're at with stepping into Jesus, I pray for those of you that are on the bank, I invite you into the river. And stepping into the river can be as simple as just saying, Jesus, I give my life to you. For those of us that have been comfortable with ankle, knee, or waist deep, we do certain things at some levels, but other things we stay out of. God, I ask for you to help us take our next step in a growing relationship with you. Now, I don't expect all of us to do a head dive first into this river, but God, we could take one step deeper into this relationship with you. Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives today. Let us become desperate for you as the source of our life. That way you can sustain the life that we've been called to. Holy Spirit, make us hungry. Make us hungry for you. may we just become radically devoted to this. As I finish up one little thought, I want to tell you this. I hear all the time, Jesus is coming back anytime. And just so you know, I I can't say that. I don't believe that. And then the other thing I hear is, The world's getting worse, not better. And my question has always been this, by what metrics are you using to declare that? Because logically speaking, more people are being educated now than any time in human history. There's more clean water and more medical advantages to everybody, more now than any time in human history. Yes, there is still uh, uh, slavery, sex slavery, things like that's happening. But officially, it's lower than any time per capita in human history. There's less death per capita than any time of any war or human history. But then here's the other thing. Could we say that revival is already happening in the world? This comes from Pastor Mark of Manor House. 250,000 people will give their life to Christ today alone. In this year, 91,600,000 people will give their life to Christ. In Russia, they're reporting 30,000 people a day are giving their life to Jesus. In China, it's 35,000 people per day. And keep in mind, in China, if you are found with a Bible or you are found holding a service, you could be put to death right there at that moment. 35,000 people still giving their life to Christ every day. In India, where India where you have uh, Muslims, Hindu, Buddhist, all that, 
you have 20,000 people a day giving their life to Christ. 80% of it is happening because of signs and wonders happening right there in front of them. Not because of a teaching, not because someone intellectually proved Jesus better than someone else. It's because someone was sick, someone had a tumor, someone was dying, and a Christian prayed for them, and a miraculous healing happened, and they said, we want your God over ours. Right now, 50% of all of Africa proclaim Christianity as their faith. So how can we say things are getting worse when nearly 92 million people will come to know Christ this year alone? I think the reason we say that is because we don't have these statistics in America right now. And as Americans, we believe that whatever's happening here is happening everywhere else. And that is sheer arrogance. America is not God's plan to save the world. Jesus Christ is. But as Americans, I want to be involved with Jesus Christ saving the world. And so Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, breathe on us. Holy Spirit, let these type of numbers be seen in the American church today. Because God, we do not want to be left out of what you're doing. By the way, if you're a guest here today, I don't normally pray this much, but we're in church, why not? Holy Spirit, I don't want to be left out of what you're doing on the earth. Holy Spirit, I don't want to be left out on signs and wonders and miracles. Holy Spirit, I don't want to be left out on your prophetic nature in which we were born into. So God, maybe today isn't about individual prayer. Maybe it is about a corporate prayer that says this, we are desperate to know you more. We are desperate to know you more. So come and have your way in this place. May the prophetic word and the insight that Ezekiel wrote 2,400 years ago, may it lay at our feet today with the same decision of how deep are we going to get. May our surrender be big so that your river inside of us may be great. In Jesus' name.